Author Max Lucado said it best, if relationships matter most at the end of our lives, shouldn't they matter most now? And I'm beyond thrilled that a great relationship has allowed me to turn the page on a new chapter of this podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome as the Resilience Think Tank presents the Resilient Journey podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, welcoming you to episode 38. And my guest this week is Vice President of Marketing for R3 Continuum, Jamie Gassman. In the first of two episodes with Jamie, we discuss an area of focus for the think tank in Q2, mental health. Jamie and I are going to talk about something that should get your interest, the idea that business resilience has to start with your people. She'll catch us up on trends related to stress in the workplace as people return to the office. Part one with Jamie Gassman is up next after this from Ashley. Welcome to the Resilience Think Tank. I'm Ashley Gooseman, and along with my co-founders, we created the Resilience Think Tank in 2021, dedicated to providing independent guidance and research to the risk and resilience industry. As founders, we're based in Canada, the United Kingdom, and the United States, and have a combined experience of over 87 years of helping organizations to become resilient. We are committed to ensuring diverse voices are included in making communities and organizations more resilient. I hope you'll join us. Jamie, welcome to the podcast. Really excited to have you here. Let's start off by having you just briefly introduce yourself, telling uh, the listeners about your background. Absolutely. Well, really happy to be here, Mark. I'm glad to be able to have another conversation with you. Um, I'm Jamie Gassman. I'm Vice President of Marketing at R3 Continuum, and I'm also the host of the Workplace MVP podcast. And I've been in marketing for a little over 16 years, and in my current role here at R3 Continuum, it'll be about 11 years this July, um, which is crazy. Um, feels like such a long time, but always, you know, but it went really fast, of course. Uh, but my passion for marketing, or really my love for marketing, began when I was a junior in high school. Um, I had an amazing marketing teacher who inspired me to get into this field. Um, and what I love about my role in marketing is my ability to mix my creative side and my creativity with my business um, aspirations. So it's really kind of a nice blend um, that allows me, I think, to be you know, successful in my, my career and, and, and really helps drive me choosing this as my career journey. But I enjoy being able to bring that passion for marketing that I have and um, that fun side of storytelling and creativity into being able to share with the world what R3 Continuum does day in and day out and how we help to impact the lives of others in a positive way, especially when they might be having one of the worst days of their life. Um, so in addition to my work here at R3, I'm also a member of the American Marketing Association's Minnesota chapter and recently became one of their mentors in their mentor program, which I'm very excited about. And yeah, so that's a little background about me. So I like that. And, uh, you know, you get older or you get a little bit longer in your career and you, and you start thinking about things like legacy and mentorship and, and so forth. And so you mentioned your marketing teacher in high school, you know, that person, you're part of their legacy, right? So shout out to... I, I honestly can't remember her name. Oh, no. <laughs> she was only there for one year, which really bummed me out because I, uh, you know, as a result of her teaching and and I know it started with a W and if I went back and, and 
my, my yearbook, I could probably find her name. Um, but she was only there for the year. And um, then the teacher that she actually was uh, replacing came back off a sabbatical and took her spot. You know, my first thought was, okay, you know what, we'll edit that out because I was looking for, you know, here's a shout out to, uh, you know, to, <laughs> yeah. to, to miss whatever. Yeah. Um, and I thought, well, well, that was got a little bit awkward because you couldn't remember her name, but no, I'm going to leave it in. I'm going to tell you why. It just goes to show that even in an interim role or stepping in in a temporary role, you can impact somebody and, and you just never know what that impact is going to be in somebody else's life. Absolutely. I completely agree. And it could be just sitting in an airport, talking to somebody and taking that time to, you know, show interest in someone and what an impact I was recently traveling for work. And I, I can't remember which business trip it was because I had several in the right. month of April. And I remember sitting in the Minneapolis airport and the gal two seats down from me was sitting with her mom and she was just this ball of energy. Hmm. And all I did was smile at her. And she started talking to me and I, I'm an extrovert by nature. I'll talk to anybody. Um, <laughs> and um, she, she started sharing with me that she had just, you know, ex, you know, visited one of the, the colleges here in Minnesota, I believe it was St. Olaf and how excited she was and how welcoming they were and how she can't wait to come back in the fall. And uh, she was traveling um, to, you know, home to California and, just about how excited she was. I got to hear her whole entire story of how she's built up coming. And so I just think there's just so much value in taking a little bit of time to, to have some interest in other people because you just learn so much and they can give you so much as well from that learning. And you can start to develop relationships. You and I met yeah. at uh, RIMS at Risk World yeah. and uh, I, I uh, walked by your booth and I saw what you were doing there and you were doing some, some pod, podcast interviews there and we had a chance to, to do that. So it's, it's interesting how what might feel like just an off chance uh, encounter can, can really have impact. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about our three continuum. You mentioned uh, that you're uh, the vice president of marketing there. So talk a little bit about R3 and what services you offer. Yeah, absolutely. So R3 Continuum, uh, we've been around for a little over 30 years, and we are a behavioral health experts in workplace disruption. And so we provide specialty behavioral health response to various disruptions and critical incidents that occur in workplaces really every day. Uh, we respond to over 2,500 workplaces on average every month. And, you know, and it's various things that disruption can come in many different forms, but um, it's a lot of what we respond to is grief and loss of employees. Mm. Um, and that can be from natural causes that can be from um, suicide, uh, murder, you name it, um, car accidents, accidents in the work environment. Um, but it could also be layoffs. Um, it could be workplace violence, basically catastrophic accidents. So somebody getting um, injured quite um, significantly and, and coworkers watching. And there really is this like ripple effect of how that impacts an organization emotionally and the support that employees need during that time is different. Um, a little bit more hands-on and catered to actual trauma than what you might see in somebody having depression and needing help with depression. So it's just a little bit different of a response, mm. um, but it does help that workplace to heal and to um, recover from the incident itself. 
And so that's the main um, core business that we do. And we do that across the country. We have over 6,000 consultants on our network um, that in every state, and we can respond to any incident regardless of the size or scale uh, within two hours, as short as two hours. Um, so we've been to pretty much all of your major incidents that you see on the news. 9-11 was probably one of the, the first really large scale incidents that put our, you know, really put us on the map of in terms of awareness to this type of support. Um, but, you know, Las Vegas shooting, we had people on the ground by the by morning to support. Oh. I think we sent almost 70 um I hope I have my number right, about 70 uh, consultants from across the country that, that came to the Vegas uh, response work. Um, you know, so really in addition to helping employees, what it also does is leaders. You know, if you're a leader yourself and you're facing something that you, know, you hear about in the news, but you never thought it would happen to you, sometimes it's really difficult to know how to appropriately respond to that incident. And so what we do is we help leaders to lead competently and effectively through that recovery journey, helping them with how do you talk to your employees? Yes, it's okay to show emotion. You're, you're coping with it too. And so it's helping them to understand it's okay to be a little bit more vulnerable during that time. Your employees actually might want to see that from you because you're now making it okay for them to be able to be vulnerable as well. Yeah. And we're going to get into that. And uh, we should let listeners know at this point that as we were planning this episode, we realized we had so much to cover that we want to do this in two parts. Yes. So this will be a two-part episode. Absolutely. So I'll encourage people to uh, stick around or, or next week um, is when we'll get into some things around leadership. But one of the things that jumped out at me as you were describing your services is we always tend to think of things like this in terms of how it benefits the employee who is going through it, but it's also helping the organization too, right? Because it's it's part of making them more resilient if we have appropriate care for our employees. Absolutely. I mean, we, we've actually heard it, I think it was during 9-11, one of, um, you know, Jeff Gorder is our vice president of um, crisis response solutions. And, you know, he heard it directly from one of our clients during 9-11 that said, you know, my business can't recover unless my people recover. And so it's really, you'll hear me say that quite a bit because mm-hmm. your people are the core to getting that business back up and running. And they're going to be hurting depending on what the situation is. I mean, even if it's, at, you know, like I like I like to say it's more intimate. You know, I talk about the large scale ones because those are, you know, we hear them in the news. It's nationwide. It's, it's relatable because we've seen it and we've heard about it, but there is so much that goes on in workplaces day in and day out that people aren't even aware of, you know? And so those more intimate that really is just impacting that workplace, um, you know, it's just because it's just for that one workplace doesn't mean that's not having the same type of an effect on those workers. So we focus a lot on this podcast on resilience. It's called the resilient journey. And so if I'm speaking to my colleagues right now, people who are responsible for business continuity, they might look at something like this and go, ah, you know, this is just an EAP. We have this, this is handled by HR. I don't need to worry about that. But is that what R3 is? I mean, how do you differ from an EAP? And why should my colleagues in business continuity be paying attention to R3 as a, as, as a possible tool to help with overall resilience? Yeah, definitely. So we're a complement to an EAP. Um, so we work with 
the majority of the EAPs out there we work with and are usually the support that they're having brought in. Um, typically we're brought in under their, their brand. Um, and then if we're working direct with an employer, depending on the type of relationship with the EAP, we're coming in as our three continuum, but it's typically our three that's responding to some of these larger scale incidents and even some of those even more smaller scale incidents. But we work with EAPs across the country and so in most situations, like I kind of mentioned, it's, it's usually us that's behind that, that support. I would say if you're reading an article after something's happened in your area or, um, you know, large scale in the nation where it's on the news and you see counselors were on site, it's usually our three counselors who are on site. Um, they're just usually not labeled. <laughs> so um, for your business continuity um, I would, I would encourage them if they say, well, I have an EAP program, I would encourage them to look at that program and make sure that there is this service as a carve out on that program is what we found is sometimes it's not bucketed underneath an EAP's program for some organizations. And so just ensuring that they have that as a solution, if something were to happen is from a continuity perspective, you know, their main focus and their role is getting that business back up and running this is a key component of that. And sometimes it might, you know, I don't, you know, it may not be a, as thought of first, you know, other, you know, aside from getting systems up and going, but you need your people to be able to run those systems. So, and it's the people that, that we really need to focus on. And uh, I, the, it's so quotable what um, your CEO says that the business can't recover unless the people can recover. So I, I, I love that. You also talk about uh, the, the fact that R3 does fitness for duty evaluations. Tell me more about that and how it can maybe be applied to different industries, but start off with what that means. Sure. Um, so a fitness for duty evaluation is a behavioral health um, exam that really we provide it to employers and it's, it's, it's objective, it's evidence-based it, and it basically aids in their ability of making appropriate, appropriate employment decisions when there's concerns that an employee um, is not able to safely perform their job. So some of the typical reasons why you might request that is, let's say you have an employee who's just demonstrating some odd behavior, it's out of character for them, maybe it's aggression, uh, maybe it's you know hallucinations on the job, maybe they're just you know not, when they come to work, they're really not quite all there, so concerns that you know, are they, you know, able to, to work a forklift and drive it safely without hurting anybody? Or are they able to, you know, see a patient and support that patient um, and give the right level of care? So those are just a couple different examples in a couple different industries. And so what it does is it's an, an evaluation that there's um, various different um, tests and screenings that they can do um, to identify if a person is fit to, to do their work that's in their job description. The other thing that's a little bit unique to R3, when I mentioned aggression, we also about oh, four or five years ago identified kind of a gap in services within the marketplace in terms of what our customers are asking us for. So concerns of violence obviously is on the rise with people now returning back into the work environment, you know, people being, you know, more in isolation. There's different things from an aggression perspective showing up. One of the services that we offer that's an add-on to our fitness for duty evaluations is our ability to do a violence screen. So if you've got an employee who is showing aggressive behavior and you have concerns that they have potential to commit violence and you want to see if 
that truly is the case, what we can do as a violence screen kind of add on to that fitness for duty that allows us to be able to identify if the person has the potential to commit violence. And then if for some reason there's violence present um, and we have concerns of that, um, we also have threat of violence assessment and management where we can actually gauge, you know, how, um, what is the, the, the possibility of violence being committed. Um, so we have several different options that we can provide to an employer in that area that helps them to make, um, it's kind of like a tool in helping them to make an employment decision and keep their workplace safe. So that raises a couple of questions for me. So talk about how doing, how an employer ordering these tests, these um, fitness for duty evaluations, is there ever any concern around these tests being a violation of the employee's rights or how does that get measured against the, the personal um, rights of, uh, of an individual compared to um, sort of the organization's responsibility to everyone else? Yeah, no, um, in terms of like regulatory, these are common in the industry and basically it's used at for, from an employer perspective. So they, they, they have some, I'm going to call it guidance, but we're not telling them what they should do. We're just consulting and advising that this is what we're seeing. Um, the report that they get back from the evaluation does not show anything from a medical perspective. So there's two different reports that are generated when a fitness for duty is completed. There's an employer version and there's the full psychological evaluation. The full psychological evaluation is not released to the employer. So it's not putting the employer in any potential risk of seeing an employee's full medical information, which unless the employee provides it to them is not something that they're able to see. Okay. Um, so the employer version of it just basically gives them our opinion on if the person is fit or not. And then if there's any other findings that are, that we need to mention in there that are within the regulatory guidelines of that. And our clinicians are, are aware of that structure and how they need to respond to it so they can protect obviously their license licensure, um, but also just because there's there's just expectations and um, ethics and integrity that go along with that. From the violence screen perspective, same thing. They're going to get what they need to see, and then it helps them to be able to know. Okay, this isn't somebody with um, a mental health condition that maybe needs help, which sometimes, I mean, we're not diagnosing them, but it might lead to them going and getting a diagnosis. Mm. But what it does do is helps to say, no, this person is just acting out and there's some bad behavior going on. And it's like, could be a personality, could be something is triggering that aggression and they need to address it from a behavioral perspective in a performance situation. What's really interesting though, is when a referral comes into our three continuum, what is kind of the beauty of, the, of kind of a, the niche of how we support employers is we assess that situation. We look at the case notes, we consult with the employer on what is happening. Cause these are timely. Uh, a lot of the times it's like, they need to know now because there could be potential risk involved. So what we do is we review the case notes of that, that situation and we, we identify which route the, the, the initial evaluation route the employer should take. Like if they come in saying, I need an FFD, we're going to look at that and go, wow, there's some potential violence triggers that we're seeing here. Mm -hmm. We think you need to do a fitness for duty with a violence screen. 
And then when we get into that fitness for you with violence screen, there might be an active threat or some threatening behavior already happening. And we might then recommend, you know, in addition to this, we really need to do a threat assessment, like, and to protect that work environment. That, that's really interesting. Now, obviously the last couple of years have been tough on everyone with the pandemic. And we hear a lot in the news about surging rates of mental health issues. Um, elaborate a little bit about what you're seeing, how it's presenting itself in the workplace, uh, you know, r- related to COVID. Yeah. I mean, I think early on, when you look at March of 2020, I think it was just pure fear and adrenaline rush to go, wow, what's going on? And everybody going into, you know, remote work. But then over time, you know, there's been so much going on since COVID. You know, you've mm-hmm. got, you know, the incident in Minneapolis with George Floyd um, and murder with the police officer. And then you've got, um, you know, the Capitol, you know, elections and the Capitol, uh, the Capitol building. And there's just been, I think, so many things that have gone on in addition to COVID. And I also think, too, with COVID, it has been, I like to call it kind of like the COVID roller coaster, you know, oh, cases are dropping. Everything's going back to normal. Nope they're not, they're rising. Nope. Now it's dropping again. Nope. It's rising. And so I think there's just been a lot of strain and stress. I think in the early days, a lot of what you were seeing from a mental health, um, was, you know, I, a lot of the parents, but also everybody with just the challenges and the complexities of having to figure out a new way to, to live. Um, I know myself, I have two school-aged children. My daughter was a first grader when COVID happened. I was in school for my MBA and also running a marketing department for a, a crisis response company, basically, you know, handling disruptions in the workplace. And COVID was probably one of the biggest disruptions of all time because sure. it's, it's been longstanding. And, you know, that there's so much stress and strain putting on, put on individuals. And I think now as it's progressed, it's, it's just the constant evolution. And so what we've seen in the workplace is just, you know, the isolation creating some mental health concerns um, from a response perspective, it's the stress and burnout, the long-standing effects of, of COVID. In talking to um, a CEO of a hospital recently, she said, we were basically in a pandemic war. My people aren't trained for the front lines of war. And so, you know, you imagine that impact that war has on our soldiers now put it to like a healthcare worker. And so I think depending on your industry, there's different things that you were impacted with. But the one thing I told, I was talking to my sister actually about this. She's a school teacher. They themselves are seeing, you know, increased violence in the classroom, you know, increased different behavior issues that they've not seen before in students at this scale, um, just from the students being isolated at home, you know, sometimes not as supervised because parents are working. Um, you know, and so she talks about her challenges and I was like, everybody has had challenges. It's at just different levels of challenge. And so I think that mental health impact is hitting everybody a little differently. Um, but from a response perspective, it's really that long standing impact of just that constant, you know, and there's no break away from it because for some of these industries, you know, like retail, the, the surge was just that fear of being working hands-on with the public during the pandemic. 
Well, then it was all of the CDC rules of protecting yourself with the mask. And now they've got aggression and violent people in their work environments they've not seen before. Right. And then now you've got, you know, robberies happening. So I think it's just like this different shift of all of these different types of incidents that are happening. And, um, um, which is just, I think, weighing on people's um, mental health. And, you know, from a diagnosis perspective, I say that's not the type of work that we do. So I, I can look at different trends and we can see that it's impacting people across, pretty much across the globe um, from a behavioral health perspective. But from a response perspective, some of the things we've seen is just that long standing impact. And so our response work went from maybe just you know, we're responding immediately following an incident for a week to we're now there on on site for months just to make sure people are getting that support in an ongoing uh, setting. And now the stress is changing because now employers are starting to say, all right, now we need you back in the office. And, you know, we had this sort of sudden change, right? When, when the pandemic was declared in March of 2020, people were like, oh, all right, we got to get you up and running so you can start working at home. And there was stress with that. And then I think to a degree, people have sort of gotten quite accustomed to that. And, and now, wait a minute, my sweatpants aren't appropriate anymore. You're asking me to come back into the office. And I know when you and I were speaking about this offline, as we were preparing for this, you said that back in March of 2020, when COVID hit and everybody had to shift to work from home, it was a disruption. But now the fact that people have gotten used to working from home, the shift to returning to the office is equally as much of a disruption. So what are you seeing as you know employers are starting to ask uh, people to come back into the office uh, around stress and, and how people are dealing with it? So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, no, I, so I've been um, to several different industry conferences over the, the last couple months. And, you know, some of the conversations I've been having have been really interesting in terms of what leaders and organizations are seeing within their work environment. And one of the interesting things across all the industries is this balance of the, you know, organizations who are, have kind of the divide of some employees working remote versus some working in the office where historically that might've been a work environment where everybody was in the office. And, and in, in, most cases, there's there's roles within these organizations where people have to be in the office due to the nature of the work that they're doing. Um, but in some of the departments, they've given people that option. You can work from home or you can work in the office. And what they're seeing is cultural divides, like resentment happening from those who are in the office versus those who are not. And it's creating productivity concerns and issues. Um, and I, and when you look at like the great resignation and people going, well, I want to work remote and if you're not going to let me work remote, you know, but then you also have people who are like, I want to be in the office, but why isn't she in the office? You know, so there's just like this interesting dynamic of mm-hmm. workplace culture impact that's happening. And, um, and we've seen that before. I mean, if you think of the, you know, some of this divide, I think, has already been kind of fueling in our country a little bit, you know, with political divide and differences right. of opinions that are really um, strong that have now surfaced into the workplace. And we've seen that in the work that we do 
And uh, we do respond to that. We actually respond to that with our service called facilitated discussions, where we actually help third party coming in and moderating that conversation. So both sides can really share how they feel in a controlled environment. And so it allows people that opportunity to have that conversation, but workplaces are facing that and having to kind of have those, you know, moments of, Hey, we're a team. What are we doing? So I think just, you know, that, that dynamic of, um, you know, being respectful of why others might've made that decision to stay working remote versus in the office is, is kind of something that leaders are facing. They're also facing um, where they maybe haven't had remote workers before. Mm. And I think there's a little bit, you know, when you're managing and leading, yes, they might've been all remote at one point, but you were still leading that. Now, when you have kind of this like divide, um, some of that is impacting some of the leaders too. And just like, wow, I now have people here and I have people there. And I've used to have where I could just say, we're going to the conference room, we're all going to meet. And now you've got to have some realization to, I need somebody on Zoom. Oh, can we get, you know, and I had to use a conference line, not that line going. I was like, whoa. Like an an old fashioned like conference call. <laughs> yes. It's like, whoa. That's, that's <laughs> it's like amazing. having a rotary phone in my my house again, right? <laughs> like, wow. So um, so I think um some of the things like that we're seeing um and just starting to hear is just that stress of coming back in the workplace. People who are scared and now um just heard from our VP of HR that you know there's new cases rising um, with this new variant. And you know you're going to have just that mix of different comfortability in coming back too. And so I think it's, it's just putting a lot of strain on workplaces, having to manage a lot of different feelings that employees are, are facing right now. That's very interesting. So we're coming to uh, the end of our time for episode one of our two-part episode, but you said enough already that probably has some of my colleagues in the business continuity world thinking, wow, I'd like to learn more about this. And I'd like to talk to, to Jamie. What's the best way for people to reach you? Sure. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, and it's, it's Gasman with two S's and two N's. Um, and, um, they can also reach out to r3c.com. That's our website. Um, but certainly can email me. It's just my first name dot my last name at r3c.com. Be happy to talk with anybody and, uh, help get a conversation going on how we might be able to help their work environment. All right. And we'll put the the links to all of that in the show notes. Jamie, thanks for doing this on part one. And uh, we'll continue the conversation as we get to uh, part two of my conversation with Jamie Gassman in the next episode. Wonderful. I want to thank Jamie Gassman for joining me on this episode of the podcast. She was a great guest and we'll have more from my conversation with her next week. And I can't even begin to express how happy I am to have the Resilience Think Tank as partner on the podcast. Learn more about them by going to resiliencethinktank.com. Next week, we continue our conversation with Jamie Gassman as we talk about what it means to be resilient and how leaders can manage disruption effectively, even when they're dealing with loss or trauma. So join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.